Hello, how are you? This is the Just Bloody Post-It podcast, a show for creatives who are marketing their work online. I'm your host, Helen Perry, and this time we're LinkedIn-ing it. LinkedIn, boring and corporate, or a platform worth investing in to win work and talk to like-minded people about important things like roast potatoes. One of my most popular posts ever, I think it was a post on Boxing Day, I believe it was, which just basically said, my wife seems to think that you can stick leftover roast potatoes in the microwave. Whereas I'm like, well, maybe you should stick them back in the oven kind of thing. So we had this massive debate and weirdly, lots of people agreed with her. So obviously I've since, you know, disconnected and blocked those people. I don't know what kind of animals put roast potatoes in the microwave. Surely that would they would lose their essential crispiness. Uh, exactly. That's the thing. If I wanted soggy potatoes, I would just have mash. Our guest this time is Gus Bandal. He likes to call himself, modestly, the UK's number one LinkedIn trainer. But he's more than that. He's an all-round marketing strategist who can be found in all the places and on all the platforms. He's a former corporate marketer who gave it all up to run a pub. And then his pub social media marketing campaigns were so much better than all the other pub social media marketing campaigns that they were asking for help. And Gus's agency was born. As the M Guru, he trains small and bigger businesses and is a super regular speaker at events. We talk lots about that in the show and is across everything from Facebook to threads. Threads, Instagram's answer to Twitter, the platform no one asked for. I began by asking Gus whether we should bother with it. Yes, we should bother, but... um... Currently, it should probably be quite far down your strategy in terms of your social media strategy. So I always recommend that, you know, it's I have this saying where I say kind of be the lighthouse. So kind of stand in one or two places and let kind of the ship sail to you. I don't think that you can be a lighthouse on threads. Threads is like a secondary platform where you might post some content, you might post some secondary content, you might post your kind of daily thoughts, etc., but it shouldn't be the main part of your social media strategy yet, simply because it hasn't developed into a fully fledged social media channel uh, as of today. Yeah, so it's just not going to be influential enough for you at the moment to lead your thought, uh, you know, your 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 thinking, your thought leadership, or your big ideas, or your sales pitches through threads at the moment. Do you th- do you actually think it's going to work? I, I feel I feel skeptical about it. I think if if it goes in the right way uh, and it it becomes everything that Mark Zuckerberg, owner of Meta, wants it to be, then yeah, I think it will work really well. Um, but it's a really slow development process currently. They've only just added GIFs. Um, you can obviously add images. You can now pin a post to the top of your thread, um, to the top of your feed, I should say. And then uh, they've recently released kind of hashtags in Australia so you can search by hashtags although they're not calling them hashtags they're just calling them tags strangely um yeah yeah I don't know why um but so yeah so as of today no it's not you know it's not a great platform it's great to broadcast but it's not a place to have proper two-way conversations that was what I was going to say are you getting a feel for because I mean obviously it's it's trying to fill a, a space that that Twitter or X is vacating or people are vacating it but it, I mean that is entirely based on the rich the success of Twitter was based on the richness of the conversation there and you would say that's not happening on threads at the moment 
Correct. Yes, I think I still think Twitter is one of the best platforms in terms of its features, in terms of its possibilities, in terms of what it can do. The problem is nobody else is hanging out there. People are leaving there in droves and obviously they're going to other channels. So we have threads where you have a large audience, but the problem is you then don't have the means to communicate properly with them kind of thing and you know in terms of you know searching for conversations or being part of conversations that you want to hear from you can only ever hear from your contacts and I think most social media relies on speaking to people outside of the people that you already know. Let's back up um, and do a bit of storytelling if you will. Gus what is your story? How did you end up being in lights the UK's number one LinkedIn trainer? (laughs) So, did you do you call yourself that or did someone call you that? Uh, I call myself that and then tell people that my mom said it. Of course, moms are always right, right? So one of the things is, is that, uh, so currently where I am, I started telling people I'm the UK's number one LinkedIn trainer. It was very much in jest, but it kind of, it forms part of my content strategy in terms of, I want to be the friendly, personable, jovial kind of guy and not like, some other LinkedIn trainers. This is more about creating personalities on social media and having those conversations. And very much LinkedIn, I call it the digital water cooler. So it's where we go and have conversations that aren't necessarily about work. So starting right at the beginning, I was, you know, I was born in the late 70s in the suburbs of Coventry and grew up here and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. left to follow the bright lights of London and studied a marketing degree there, came back to Coventry once my money had run out. Um, and then I worked for a number of illustrious, large, global, international uh, corporations. Um, had a had a long and illustrious marketing career before leaving all of it to run my local pub. And it was at my local pub where I really learned how to implement marketing. Up until that point, you know, like when you get paid a salary, the, you know, your boss tells you to do something and you do it, basically. And it wasn't until I ran my own business that I realized I need to put all the theory that I've ever learned into practice for what works for me and my business. And one of the reasons I started my marketing agency was, uh, and, and, and I started my marketing agency in 2017. So one of the reasons I did that was because it wasn't easy running a business and trying to manage the marketing for it as well kind of thing. So obviously you have to be good at marketing because otherwise you won't have bums on seats. But you also have to, in this case, the pub that I had, I had to serve the pints. I had to, you know, help to cook the food. I had to serve the food. I had to clean up. I had to cash up. I had to speak to the accountants and manage Sky and Carling and all these other kind of business relationships. So it was, it wasn't easy. So I thought I'll take the marketing element and deliver that for other essentially my first client was my competitor so you know at the pub so it was that kind of delivering it for other people basically um so they could outsource their marketing to me it's interesting because when I was reading your cv on the internet I was like oh this is like I don't normally interview people actually who've got formal marketing qualifications or experience within big corporates and my feel for it is it's a very different thing when you're doing marketing for your own business as a solopreneur is it actually am I right or is there a lot that you learn in your background that you actually think is a great advantage that you know and can apply when you're, you know, working with somebody like myself or a coach or a pub owner or whoever it might be? Although I know you don't mean it to be, that sounds like a very leading question because it sounds like I'm going to start badmouthing people who think they're marketers. 
and yes i will start doing that so basically what happens is lots of lots of people think they're marketers because they you know they've they might have achieved some success online or might have got some clients through the door etc what my formal marketing qualification because i've got a marketing degree and two postgraduate marketing qualifications i've got lots of letters after my name and what that theory has taught me is that it's applicable to almost any business whereas most marketers have been successful in one business and then try and extrapolate that into other businesses and it's not it's not as easy because every business is different so i'm very glad that i've learned the grounding the bases the the theories of marketing so then i could deliver it to almost any business in any sector to help them become successful if that makes sense and what are the core can you i don't know name two or three core principles that would go across any business if you want to make your marketing work that somebody who hasn't had your background might not know immediately so at the at the most basic of levels which i believe everybody knows is you know the the four p's of you know product place price promotion that you know that kind of stuff we have to understand our business from an internal level in terms of who we want to speak to uh who are our competitors who are those around us what are our price points you know etc etc and i think you the the basis for for marketing is really to think about the product or service that you have and then think about the audience that needs that and then obviously we can say well there are some companies that don't necessarily have an audience yet because their products are so new or they're so niche etc and I, i you know and i understand that there's but there has to be some sort of market research some sort of focus group some you know something that understands that actually there is a need for this market but for the most part most businesses need to think about who their ideal clients are who are their competitors and where you would fit into that market i think one of the problems with modern marketing and modern businesses is that we think we can cater to everybody in in one go and that's where the failures come in yeah and uh not doing the the work not checking not checking somebody wants your product that can be a really painful thing for small businesses i've seen it a lot uh people there's there's two different ways in which you can feel pain you can create a product that sadly isn't quite right for the people you think it is because you didn't ask them and you didn't check and secondly which i the kind of people i work with a lot have actually got something great they're just not doing the marketing they're not telling anybody about it so nobody knows thank you gus linkedin is that your we talked about threads and you're you mean you're all over all the things facebook groups and whatnot um but it's linked in your favorite social media platform yes almost by default i mean one of the things is that so i i used to love facebook until i started getting a few kind of issues on there and there's lots of you know there's never anybody to speak to and i think you know i've had clients who have lost their accounts and there's nothing you can do about it and it kind of it's difficult for my income as a social media manager to basically deal with this kind of stuff basically uh, yeah but instagram's the same it's also also as somebody who advises people to advise them to put all their eggs or a lot of their eggs into a basket where there is no customer service backup you don't own the contacts you know that is a difficult one isn't it hmm. yeah absolutely i think it's it's so difficult to like i love all social media but ultimately social media is always somebody else's land but some do it better better than others so linkedin for example the the help team is generally quite good they're very responsive you can you know easily get in touch with them etc um 
and obviously it's also owned by Microsoft, which is like you know one of the uh, you know biggest and best firms in the world. So it, almost by default, LinkedIn is the place that I love because a it's very easy to use. B it's where I get most of my clients. C it's where I have all my conversations. Um, and it, it and it kind of it almost by default beats all the other kind of social media platforms like Facebook or Instagram or you know TikTok or Twitter or anything like that. Yeah, just on the basis of if you were to do a kind of pros and cons list, it would it would have the most pros on it. Absolutely, yeah, it would it would kind of you know sit in the top tier kind of thing. And like I said, you know I love Instagram. I I post a lot on Instagram. Instagram is where I kind of post my behind the scenes content, so my like you know daily stories and what I'm up to and what's going on and all that kind of stuff etc which i feel like i can't do on linkedin linkedin is very much kind of like a a one post a day kind of thing uh kind of platform so i used to use twitter quite a lot until it kind of slowly started dying and then i kind of i've i've moved a lot of my content off twitter and now i kind of focus on instagram and linkedin and it's the two it's the two levels of what i do so linkedin is very much I will have single post. This is what I'm up to this, you know, today or this week and all that kind of stuff. Whereas Instagram is a bit more behind the scenes, a bit more kind of like, you know, off the cuff thoughts, etc. So that's how I kind of use the two platforms uh, side by side. But LinkedIn is still my favorite simply because it's where I get clients, it's where I have conversations, it's where I feel most comfortable. And for want of a better phrase, it's where I make the most money because I teach other people how to use LinkedIn. Where you feel comfortable is so important. We don't all feel comfortable across every platform and that's no failing, you know. Uh, you know, things just suit us suit us best as a way of communicating. We should lean into it rather than fight it. Um, I went to an event with David Hyatt. Do you know who I mean? He runs Hyatt Denim and he talks a lot about email newsletters. I went to an event he ran in London earlier this year year and he was very strongly advocating in favor of LinkedIn more or less saying it's kind of the only place now you can get sort of real organic traction and really reach your audience would you agree with that but it's always been like that I think that's the thing I think uh, one of the reasons we love LinkedIn and one of the like I call it the godfather of social media simply because it's the it's the one thing that's never really changed we have all these other platforms coming and going, etc. We um, obviously Facebook has been around for a while. Instagram has been around for a while. Um, Twitter has been around for a while, but we don't know how, how much longer for. Um, and there's lots of new pretenders and new kind of channels that come in. And then we have a, a channel like TikTok that comes in and to kind of you know disrupts the market as such. But LinkedIn has never really changed from its core focus. And the algorithms have always been really good for engagement in terms of people having conversations and talking to each other because it relies on people finding other people that they're not connected to. And that, you know, and in theory, that will never change. So that's, yeah, so I completely agree with David, was it? Who, yeah, like LinkedIn is the best place to have these conversations. It's a very reassuring thing. That's why I've gravitated more in recent years to talking about email marketing, just because of the relative steadiness of it. I started off teaching Instagram, but the number of times the platform has completely transformed. You end up, your job ends up to be becoming just keeping across platform changes, which doesn't really interest me massively. And it also means that your teaching's out of date so quickly. And, um, you know, I know a lot of marketing teaching is very core and you could apply it across wherever you're kind of doing your marketing. But um, yeah, finding somewhere that, that really isn't going to change every five minutes is very reassuring. You say, you say it hasn't changed. I 
mistakenly have tended to think of it as a really dry, boring place where people post pictures of themselves standing next to like a flip chart or something and thanking somebody for hosting them. And it's a bit dull. But actually, I know that that has that has changed in recent years. I would say that people are talking about more fun stuff. You, for example, Gus, posted about your roast potatoes the other day. So it's acceptable to post about roast potatoes on LinkedIn now. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. The, the the short answer is yes. The longer answer is, uh, is that the, so the platform hasn't changed as such, but the user base has changed in terms of how we engage with one another. So whereas you're absolutely right, LinkedIn used to ple- be the old stuffy, boring place where people would post their CVs or try and get a job. And once they get a job or once a recruiter finds their candidate, they stop using it until the next time they need to find somebody. Um, now, like I said, you know, particularly in the pandemic, it became the digital water cooler. It's the place where people arrived and thought, right, we can't go to the office. We can't speak to people. We can't meet. We can't leave our house. Where do we still have professional conversations or these friendly conversations, which might be related to work, but we still want to talk to other people, like-minded, you know, professional people. LinkedIn was the place for that. Um, and then obviously those conversations can be related to anything, including roast potatoes one of my most popular posts ever was simple it was i think it was a post on boxing day i believe it was which just basically said so my wife seems to think that you can uh stick uh roast leftover roast potatoes in the microwave whereas i'm like well maybe you should stick them back in the oven kind of thing so we had this massive debate and weirdly lots of people agreed with her so obviously i've since you know disconnected and blocked those people I, I was going to say, I, I, I don't know what kind of animals put roast potatoes in the microwave. Surely that would they would lose their essential crispiness. Absolutely. Uh, exactly. That's the thing. If I wanted the soggy potatoes, I would just have mash. Right. That's kind of it's, you know. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't I don't understand it, basically. But again, I mean, the the uh, although we jest, the underlying point is that we have conversations where things resonate with others and that's why we see lots of content about well this is what i'm up to this week or i'm going to this networking event this week or i went to do this training or i spoke to this people you know this person or or whatever it may be and it is really it is great to celebrate your professional uh, work life in that way as well and i see people who i'm thinking about miller from pink storm social who's an instagram trainer and she's great on instagram but she's also really good at using linkedin in a different way to just like name check all the individual companies she's working with one-on-one and she just compliments her instagram um content really well i think on linkedin without making too much hard work out of it and that's the, that's the ideal right yeah, absolutely. I love Miller. She's she's fabulous, and it it is exactly that that we we use the content. So I call it the Adrian Molification of LinkedIn, where we tell. And obviously, for those of you, not you, Helen, but some people may be old enough to remember Adrian Mole. It's very much about journaling your life, about what you're doing, which then resonates with others. It's using it as a diary, using it as a journal of your life. So try. So telling people what you're up to, which ultimately resonates with others. The reason we loved Adrian Mole is because he used to tell stories that resonated with us, you know, in his diary. And like whether it's about school or girlfriends or being bullied or or whatever it may be. And it's that we take that into adulthood. I mean, kind of, you know, when I go networking, that resonates with other people. When I do particular work or see particular clients or, you know, 
I make particular food like roast potatoes, whatever it may be, it resonates because other people are in that same boat and would like to partake in conversations. And, you know, it's it's human nature. We love talking about ourselves. So when somebody else said something, says something and asks us a question, we will automatically respond with our opinion. And I think LinkedIn is that's where the algorithms really help the engagement because we converse with each other because we resonate with one one another. And I think LinkedIn has become that journal, that place that where we we diary our lives so that it resonates with others, which ultimately helps to increase our engagement. So it should be an inquisitive diary of the questions that come up in your professional life. I think when I chat to a few friends who perhaps have a bit of trouble with LinkedIn, they can be held back by this feeling of who is on there. It's like like my husband's on there and his workmates and my old boss from when I was 21. And I, can I say this in front of them? Or like, Although you want it to be a diary entry, I think it still has to have a kind of a prof- does it have to have a professionalism about it? I mean, roast potatoes don't really, but they're equally they're not like the deepest, darkest depths of your soul either, are they? So where where does the balance come? Okay, let's start from the beginning. If you think about marketing as a whole, ultimately, again, it's the four P's in terms of price, place, product, promotion, and all that kind of stuff. So it's about who are you talking to? Who are your ideal clients? What is the purpose of creating content for them? What is the price point and all that kind of stuff, etc. And unless your old boss from when you were 21 or your husband and his colleagues are, you know, your ideal clients, I couldn't care less what they think. It's more about creating content that your friends and your ideal, con- you know, your ideal clients would like to read. So, in relation to that, it's about finding those brand ambassadors, those brand advocates, the people that like you, the people that will shout about you, the people that will look after your name when you're not in the room. It's finding those using LinkedIn to find those people to reson to create content that resonates with them. So you have these two-way conversations. So they learn more about you, they learn the kind of person that you are, what makes you tick, etc. So although I I believe there has to be like some sort of air of professionalism, like you don't need to talk about your you know daily bowel movements or anything like that, but there has to be an element of I want to find people that are like-minded, that are like me, and also will like me enough to talk about me to other people. Oh, in theory, my ideal clients. So I I would, and lots of people are held back by these thoughts of, oh, I can't post this because I have this network or I have my old boss on there or I have my old colleagues, etc. And ultimately, if they're not the ones that are going to pay your bills, then quite frankly, you shouldn't care less. Yeah, shake that shit off, as they sometimes say. It's the same on any platform, but yeah, I do think there's something about, maybe it's just this kind of like, yeah, this person who used to know me when I was 21 and they gave me my first promotion or whatever, and I, I don't want to, but yeah, so it, it can be hard for people, but thank you for clearing it up. Um, Gus, I want to talk to you about something else. I want to talk to you about live events and live speaking. You have a really busy schedule of speaking and events. What part of your business plan is that, you know, linked to? Is it just something you enjoy, something you've been asked to do or something you intentionally chase? It's a mix of all of the above, basically. So I, using all the personality tests, I'm an introvert as such, but when I started my own business, I kind of realized that if I don't start 
talking to people and getting out there, etc. I'm not really going to make too much money. What happened was, like, I love standing on a stage and talking to people. The strange thing is, if I'm in a crowd, I find it, although in some cases I find it empowering, if I know everybody, I wouldn't walk into a crowd of people that I don't know. Whereas on stage, it's also me. You can you it's just be me by myself. You can almost ignore the audience, and I will just keep talking until people listen, essentially. Now, one of the things I love about speaking gigs is that the reason I do them is because more often than not, I can show a large audience in one go about how good I am at what, what I do in terms of how much what knowledge I have, how I'm the authority, how I am the UK's number one LinkedIn trainer or whatever it may be. And more often than not, when I get off the stage, people will always come and talk to me and say, oh, I need this, I need that. Can we have a chat? Can we meet, etc.? And it's great because I give lots of people enough value and some people want more value. And I think that's the one of the reasons I do a lot of speaking gigs is because I love imparting knowledge, giving people value and empowering others to say, right, go, like, go away and do this. And those people that need a little bit more, in theory, they trust me enough now to, to hand over their hard-earned cash to help me so I can help them. And do you, for anybody thinking, uh, sort of listening, thinking, God, you know what, I need to get a bit of this action in 2024. I need to do some more speaking gigs. Do you pitch for them? Do you ask for them and contact people and events or do they come to you? Uh, a bit of both, actually. I'm very lucky that I get asked, like people see my my kind of my social media content, particularly my LinkedIn content, you know, images of me speaking or videos of me speaking, etc. And then they'll kind of, you know, also a seed in people's heads where they kind of think, right, uh, for our next event, we maybe should ask Gus. But there are other events where, yes, I do pitch for if I go through, if I go to an event and I think, actually, I'd love to be on the stage at this event, then I would look through their websites, see if there's any kind of application forms and all that kind of stuff, etc. So I don't, I don't speak everywhere and I don't say yes to everything, but I, you know, it's, it depends on the audience. It depends on the content. It depends on my fellow speakers. It depends on a whole variety of factors, basically. But yeah, I think Speaking is great, but it has to be in the right place to the right audience. Yeah, yeah, it's very time consuming, and you know, as you know, in terms of getting somewhere or preparing a speech, you know, it has to be worth your while, even if you're not getting paid or whatever. You know, it has to be worth your while. Um, it, really interesting what you said about just putting those images of uh, the work that you do onto LinkedIn will get you more of that kind of work back because people just think, oh, yeah, okay, next you can come on to to my program or uh, our events and I, I know lots of small business owners who would really love to share their experience more um, I was talking to um, Belinda from Pothys Makes who is a, a has a great craft business and she was like you know what I actually am at the point now where I would love to speak to other people who are three, four, five years behind me on this journey and share. It can be a really nice sideline in loads of businesses to do speaking and, and get generate income and new new clients from, from that kind of thing. Absolutely. I think, so I had, um, at the time of recording, I had a speaking gig last week in London and I asked, and it was like to a room, you know, there was about 300 businesses that were there on the day. Um, and I asked them when they first contacted me, I said, you know, how did you hear about me? They said, we literally went to uh, Google and then LinkedIn and just typed in social media speaker. And they said, you were top of both, which I thought was fascinating. And they said, actually, we look through your content. We see that you know what you're talking about. We know that you're an experienced speaker. So, you know, we kind of, we got you on board. And I was like, that's, that's amazing. So my, my advice 
it's it's like manifestation is nothing without action i do believe in manifestation but you still have to get things done so i would say that particularly on social media kind of start just putting those feelers out there just kind of saying i i want to speak i want to go out there i want to do this you know etc etc but also find those local events where you can apply etc um to be on stage yeah, it's start start acting like you've got the job you want. It's like it's that dress for the job you want thing. If you want to be a speaker, go and get small speaking events. Put it on your LinkedIn profile. I'm a speaker and a podcaster and an expert and a business owner and whatever you are. And that, you know, if you don't start putting that message out into the universe, it's not it's not going to know <laughs> that you're what what sort of desires you're holding inside, is it? Absolutely. And I I go to a a lot of networking events I go to a lot of conferences etc um, which teaches me a lot about you know how the audience react to a particular speaker what the speaker should be and and all that kind of stuff but also it gives me an insight into the kind of events that are, are that are out there like I would never pitch to speak at an event that I've never been to for example so I always attend an event first and then does and I don't mean this arrogantly, but I decide whether it's a place where I want to speak kind of thing in terms of the audience, the content, the fellow speakers, the organization, you know, et cetera, et cetera. No, it's, it's super smart and it, it massively increases your chances of actually having a successful pitch because I talk a lot to my offline. I don't talk about this online. I'm doing it now, I suppose. But I get a lot of really terrible pitches for my podcast, P- really really poor it's something I'd love to talk to people about but I I haven't quite found the right format for it yet but and the main problem with these terrible pitches is that either the person who's making them or their PR has clearly never even listened to the first 10 seconds of any of my podcasts let alone looked at what my other speakers have generally been like, what kind of people I talk to, what my audience is, what they might need to hear from a guest. You know, that is just not evident in any of these terrible pitches that I get. Um, so if you do your homework and do the person who you're pitching to the compliment of actually <laughs> like trying to think about what they might need for their event or their podcast or whatever, their publication, then you, you hugely increase your chances of being successful, I would say. Yeah, I go... You know, I, I speak to so many people that kind of say, oh, I'd love to be a speaker and I'd love to do this. And the question is always, you know, yeah, yeah, but why? And more often than not, unfortunately, people love the sound of their own voice. They think that they want to be like, I, I have no designs to be a professional speaker. I don't want to be a professional public speaker. You know, I'm not Giles Brandreth or anything. I, I just want to impart my knowledge so I get more clients and more people to ultimately to give me money. But the idea is that, I teach lots of people something in in one go. Um, Whereas I think some people just want to be on stage because they want the love and they want the adulation and all that kind of stuff. And that's where they kind of, they fall down, right? So that's so accurate, Gus, because quite often in my terrible pitches that I guess, it will have the, the, the phrase will be, I would love to be on your podcast or I would be great on your podcast or our client would be great. And it's like, I'm sure they think they would be great, but what's in it? You know, like why? What's in it for the audience? What well, that—that's all I care about. Is—is is this an interesting speaker that complements the series of other people I've spoken to? I don't want to speak to the third coach I've spoken to this 
this series. That's not interesting for my audience. So I'm sure you'd love to be on my podcast, but that doesn't make me want you. Uh, uh, anyway, it just listen to Gus, do your research and have a really good reason for wanting to appear somewhere. And no, don't even, it's not about what you want. It's about why it would be good for the event or why it would be good for the podcast or why it would be good for their audience. That's where the magic is. Absolutely. Ultimately, it's all about the the audience. There are there are events where I've pitched for where they've kind of said, no, you're not you're not appropriate for our audience, despite me doing the research and all that kind of stuff, because maybe there's something that I've missed or there's like an underlying thing. And there's a couple of big events that I've pitched for recently where one in particular said no, because actually our audience isn't looking for the bit that you said you can do. However, if you go away and do X, Y, Z on this other element, then maybe we can talk about that so the you know the, the right events will also give you that advice as well if they kind of turn you down but the, as as with anything the most important thing is the audience and what they can achieve it's not about loving this as much as i do love the sound of my own voice it's not about my voice it's about what the audience want to hear yeah it really really is if people if somebody listening if that pe- if the penny drops to somebody listening that would be great uh, that's really helpful feedback if, if if a person can be bothered to come back to you and say no listen i don't need this this time but next time we would love to hear from somebody who can talk about this then that, you know they're they're doing you a big favor uh and you're not going to be right for everything every time that's they've got their own agenda there's always a balance to be struck they might already have you know booked someone who's speaking about something similar you know you just have to keep plugging away yeah absolutely i'm um while we're on the podcast i'm i'm looking for anybody that's willing to who has an event in las vegas and is also willing to pay for me to go over there so if that's uh if that's you then give me a shout kind of thing i couldn't care less what the event's about but i you know i'd love to go to vegas so that's is that what you're manifesting (laughs) yeah something like that well i think the thing is although yeah i jest about it i think there is that element of I'm now looking at marketing because in the UK, we don't, although we have a few marketing events, they're either really small or ridiculously large. And I think the, the there's a lot of international marketing events that I'd like to be involved with. But again, it's that cost because I don't, I don't always charge a speaker fee. There is often, you know, sometimes it's about the audience. It's about what I'm going to get from it long term, etc. But, you know, I think going internationally, like outside of the UK, <laughs> including Las Vegas, it, it would have to be a really compelling case kind of thing. So um, it's, yeah, again, it, the advice on kind of speaking gigs would be to to find the right ones, but also for the ones that aren't going to pay you, make sure that it's not going to cost you an arm and a leg as well, because actually there's no, there's no guarantee of anything, you know, speak because you want to speak as opposed to, you know, d- doing it for the money or anything like that. No, 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 especially my business would be the same. Um, in most cases, it wouldn't really be about the fee involved. It would be about, you know, it, it, it brings a lot of credibility to to you, to, to anyone, if you're speaking at a, a strong industry event. So that that certainly will feed back into your business, business financially over time. There's no doubt about it. Um, I've pitched for a speaking recently, an event I'll be going to anyway. I've bought. I'll be buying a ticket to go anyway. So I thought, well, you might as well pitch to be speaking while I'm there. So therefore, there is no kind of. There's no financial downside. There's only upside if I was to secure that. You know. Absolutely no. Sounds good. I think that's uh, that's the thing. It has to. Uh, if you think about the audience, it's about what you can achieve for them, and obviously, if you achieve something out of it as well, then obviously that's a bonus and that's great. 
want to just get some overarching like do's and don'ts out of you, Gus, before we go. What is one or two of the kind of worst marketing things you see people do on the internet that make you go, no, stop it. You're harming your business or you're never going to sell anything doing that. Oh, there's, there's so many. I mean, we should have a, a another podcast just for this. Yeah, there's is just a lot. But I think one of the thing one of the things I don't like seeing is either a there's no personality, or weirdly b what I've seen a lot recently is there's way too much personality. So in terms of the no personality, it's very much kind of like just sharing what we do for a living. Here's what I do. Here's my job. Here's how you can give me money. This is what I do, etc. And if you do that kind of over and over again, your audience eventually switches off. So because they know you as that person and they know that's all you're going to share. And then all of a sudden they switch off, which means that the because of the way the algorithm work, uh, the algorithms work on most social media platforms, your content starts dying a death and your kind of your view rate and your engagement rate drops off. On the flip side, what I've seen people do is go a bit too far in not talking about work, but try to be, try to become wacky versions of themselves um, or try to pretend they're something they're not like, oh, you know, we're, you know, we're really fun. You know, when people tell you, you know, when people say something, it's usually the complete opposite. When somebody says, hey, I'm really fun or I'm really I'm a I'm a really honest guy. I've never heard anybody honest genuinely say I am honest. You know, I am honest. I am fun. I I am very funny. I can do that. But then they kind of they go to the point where they become like parodies and caricatures of themselves. That's something I've seen recently in marketing because I think people have kind of not necessarily inflated their ego, but they've kind of said, "Oh, you know, yes, this is how we see you." So then they kind of take that even further. But then they forget what their job is. If you know what I mean, they start trying to become personalities, or they start saying, "Oh, you know," they say, "Oh, you know." we have a massive personal brand or we're influencers or etc. There is a whole industry around building personal brand. But unless what you want is just, again, more of that attention or um, gratification from engagement, there's no point to me, there's no point in a personal brand if it's not driving something meaningful behind it, whether that is your business and your income and your mortgage payments or a mission or a passion or whatever it might be. But just growing a a, a, a cult of your own person. I mean, that doesn't that does nothing for me, but it's an industry now as well. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Uh, don't get me wrong. I think personal branding is great. I think using it in the right way, like you've said, in, in terms of um, for for a common goal, for an end purpose is is perfect. But I think like I said, one of the one of the faux pas I've seen on marketing is people kind of use really exasperating their kind of personal brand, but forgetting to tell people what the purpose of that is. You know, it's kind of people falling for their own celebrity status, but forgetting to tell people, well, actually, this is how I make money. It only means anything in terms of how it meets the 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 audience member. Like, what does it mean to to them? It's not that's that's how you. That's how you design your communication strategy or your personal brand. It's like, how how is this meaningful to the person I would like it to be meaningful to? And if it's just stuff that this will make me look great, this will make me look that, that's not helping, that that's not helpful. That doesn't that was a pet hate. What do you love to see? Um what I love to see is a real mix of content but focused on 
sometimes the behind the scenes, the kind of the real element of this is how we do things and this is how we've achieved things. And this is like, for example, the founder story or what we're doing day to day or how we manufacturing our product or what's got us to this service. And then interspersed with that Adrian Molification element of, well, I'm going to journal my week. This is the behind the scenes. I went networking. I was on a podcast. I was interviewed for this. I applied for this speaking gig, you know, etc. I've bought some orange chocolate, you know, whatever it may be. It's all these little elements that teach people about us. And then we intersperse that with stories about what makes us good in terms of our work. So in terms of testimonials, social proof, case studies, um, qualifications, education, and all the clients, all that kind of stuff. Um, so what I, what I like to see is a real mix of content, but with a real purpose, with a real focus, rather than just kind of posting content for the sake of it, to have a an end goal of, you know, here's my content strategy for this quarter, and this is what I'm going to achieve, and it's I'm going to talk about the personal, and I'm going to talk about the kind of the, the work, and it all kind of combines and dovetails to essentially teach people about the kind of person that I am, what makes me tick, how you can work with me, and what makes me great. What makes me great? Go away and have a think about that. Gus, I've really loved this conversation. It's made me feel very inspired to go and make some content, actually, when actually at a time in the year where I'm feeling a little bit like, are we nearly there yet? Um, that's actually, it's made me feel like, yeah, let's go and make some stuff and share some stuff. So thank you so much. Absolutely. My pleasure. I think that it is exactly that case in terms of go and tell the world who we are, what we're up to, et cetera. And Christmas is the best time to do that because we're all posting about our Christmas jumpers and our Christmas trees and what we're having for Christmas dinner, but intersperse it with how does this compare with our work life? What's our work life balance? What are we doing at work? How are we preparing for 2024? You know, et cetera, et cetera. You know, let, let's not wish our lives away in December, but also, you know, let's, you know, let's start as we mean to go on and all that kind of stuff. So, I think we all are reflecting at this time of year. Like, I think it's a great time of year for like reflective pieces, like what has been successful, what hasn't, what you've seen this year that's inspired you, what practices you're going to take into next year, how you're going to do it differently. There's so much as a small business owner that you can reflect on at this time. It's quite, like you say, there's a, there's a lot of opportunity to, to get people's attention at this time of year. Yeah, ab absolutely. I think that's the thing. It's, it's getting that attention and... Um, almost rather than get attention it's about getting that voice like making your voice heard with the people that should be hearing it kind of thing so it's getting attention from the right people basically always good reminder thank you Gus it's been a uh, absolute treat to meet you and I will put all of the links that you'd need to go and find Gus on the internet on LinkedIn on Facebook um, into the show notes thank you and everywhere else it's been a real pleasure thank you so much Helen so if we're talking for a minute about being reflective, I was reflecting on the year almost past with a group of work friends last week and we decided that the next time we meet, we're going to name something we would like to attract in 2024. I think the idea is that if you say it, it's a million times more likely to come to you. You might call it manifesting. I don't. I just think that you need to dress for the job that you want. And if you don't say you want something, then how will anyone know? How this ties into the conversation with Gus is that I'm pretty sure mine is going to be speaking opportunities, more opportunities to get into the real life room with people. I would like that. 
what work do you want to attract next year? Why don't you think about it and then say it out loud. If you enjoyed this conversation, share it with a friend. Word of mouth on social media or just in an email or text message is how people discover the show. Thank you always for listening. We'll be back next week. Bye.